Everybody except over here, uh, there's a few. Well, everybody but you guys, because you guys were the spiritual ones and you were still praying on this side. So we'll leave these here for folks that come in late or can grab them and put them in the back. All right. So fast approaching the end of our uh, of our series, I do want to take just a moment and talk about what's next for us after lessons from Jesus questions. We'll be we'll be um, looking at a series on spiritual victory, uh, spiritual victory in uh, in Christ and uh, and through through the Word, and I'm excited about that. It's maybe just a slightly different angle than than maybe what you've seen before. Uh, most of the time when people talk about spiritual victory they go to the book of Joshua uh, but we are going a different direction more to come on that we're also going to be changing up format just a little bit in the in the class uh, so we will have one Sunday a week where we will do a question and answer Bible study so and what I mean by that is I'm going to be asking you all to submit questions in advance uh, you can do that via email you can send me a message we can do whatever however you want to you know, talk to me hey the, I read this passage I don't understand and then I will come prepared to share about that question, maybe a couple questions, but I want it to be driven by the questions you all have. I guess to some degree I could even do it that morning, but I want to be as prepared as I can be and give kind of full counsel on those things as compared to just giving a kind of a shortened answer. We'll see where that goes. We might have some uh, some uh, some some change on that. And then we're also going to be doing a little more uh, interaction, a little more breakouts, uh, some panels some different things like that as we go through our study on spiritual victory. So I did not set up the room this way on purpose, but we'll trust that the Lord was in it. And there will be some times where you're going to have a little less teaching from me and a little more interaction. But I, I believe that, um, that you know it is through the teaching and preaching of God's Word that we grow, so I'm not getting away from that. Uh, we're just going to provide a little more interactive balance. Um, I've gotten some feedback from some of the, the other fellowship leaders on some things that have worked well, and uh, so I'm excited uh, uh, about those. So again, three weeks, if you will, three weeks out of the month, we'll do kind of the the a format with a little more interaction and then one week a month it will not necessarily be in our series it will be from anywhere in scripture uh, the question and answer format any questions about that before I, I get going so yes sir like which yeah no I have to be honest I haven't like I don't know if it'll be the first uh, or or the third or the fourth I'm probably leaning toward the first because there's always a first uh, you know week of the month um, but um, but yeah it will be it will be set though it will be set uh, that will be the plan so all right awesome well let's get into our lesson today uh, lessons from Jesus questions I appreciated Sam's uh, I, I think you know I leaned over uh, Sam talked about right the interaction of the pre-incarnate Christ you know the angel of the Lord uh, interacts with her and he asks her a question and he's like you know God is not asking to gain knowledge he's asking to elicit uh, information and and so obviously we're we're in that today we're in Mark chapter 10 uh, Mark chapter 10 there's a parallel passage in Matthew, but we're going to really be focused on Mark chapter 10. 
verses 17 through 22, and he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to Jesus. So this dude was pursuing Christ and kneeled and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Or that is God. Uh, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Uh, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and take up thy cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. So in our precursor, and we look at the uh, the summary or the areas we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the Trinity today. This is this verse is often uh, one of the kind of underlying uh, verses that is used to support uh, Christ as part of the Trinity, that he is in fact part of the Godhead, um, God the Son, if you will, uh, in this context. And so we're to talk about that. We're also going to talk about obedience and submission. And then finally, we're going to talk about tough love. Tough love. And so um, so our series study point 25, and we're going to do this brief look at the Trinity. Now, there is this version of this uh, um, I don't know, icon, logo. There's another version that's kind of a Celtic or Celtic. I'm not sure which the Celtic, I guess, if you're a basketball fan. Celtic, if you're from Europe. I don't know. Yes, and, and then America had to change them, right? But sometimes there will be a circle associated with this, but it is probably the most tangible way to represent the Trinity. If you could imagine this is graphics, right? But if you could imagine this is actually connected in the white areas underneath. If you took a circle and you simply twisted it, you would get this form. So it's one entity, one being that has three manifestations, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are not inseparable. Uh, They, in fact, are Together, with with one exception, when God the Father turned His back on 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 Christ as God God the Son to pay for our sins, but other than that, they they act independently of often independently of one another. But I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that they have actions. They are responsible for certain things in our life, and they complement the other. It is hard because we see ourselves as a monotheistic belief, right? We have one God. Scripture is very clear, but that Godhead has three parts, the Trinity. So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at, at at the Trinity. So first, there is a Godhead. There is a Godhead. In Colossians chapter 2, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, referencing Christ. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Genesis 1.26, And God said... 
So God said, let us make man in our image. So here at, you know, MBT, we have a position. We, we believe that, that King James is, is, an, is preserved, that, that when God spoke and he, he spoke into the, to the, to the, to the minds and to the, 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 the hands, if you will, of the, the authors of the original Hebrew and the original Greek and the Chaldean, that he inspired Scripture, but we believe that Scripture is preserved through, through really a supernatural events, and, uh, and that the words of Scripture are important. So when it says, God said, let us make man in our image, the us and our are plural by design. He could have said, let me make man in my image after my likeness, but he didn't. There's clearly a Godhead, God and a plurality. And the Lord said, Behold, the man has become one, as one of us to know good and evil. Right? So we see that again. God said that. In Genesis 11, 6 and 7, the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. Go to, let us go down. And Isaiah 6, verse 8, And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? So this is not, this is not just a concept. This is not just Mitch Dobson pulling something out of Genesis, one obscure reference. This happens multiple times in Scripture. Even Jesus, when he's talking in John 10, verse 30, says, My Father and I are one, not to the exclusion of the Holy Spirit, but within the context, I and my Father are one. So there is a Godhead. There is a God, but it is a Godhead. It is hard for us in our finite brains to wrap our minds around the three in one. I have heard every different type, well, not every, but I've heard lots of different types of illustrations of you can have one pizza with different ingredients and you can have all these different things. And I'm not sure I've got a really good explanation other than it's three and it's one they act together, they act independently, they share all things, they all act for our good, uh, they are the creator, he is the creator. Like, I don't know how else to say it. I'm insufficient in delivering this message. The next point here is that God is a trinity. God is a trinity. And again, scripture bears things out in witness, right? So, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, all words are established. So when you see a singular concept, somebody trying to argue a doctrine based on this obscure passage, pulling it forward, and there's no, there's no other passages to support it, be very careful of that. On the flip side, when God repeats something, principally or explicitly in Scripture, he's doing that for a reason. The Godhead is a trinity. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Pretty clear. But just in case you didn't catch it, in Matthew, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. We also see it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 and verse four, uh, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the communion of, Holy, of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The Trinity is very clear. Now, I suspect no one walking in here this morning was ha battling with the concept of the Trinity. 
right? Most of us were probably not concerned about that, but I want to spend a few minutes now within the context of understanding the Godhead and the Trinity talking about their different functions, okay? Talking about their different functions because the members have different functions. Now, to the extent that I could, on your sheet, I tried to sneak in a chart, Okay, and the chart has God, the, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in the three columns. And there are five verses that we're going to look at. Okay, five verses: Matthew three, First Peter one, John fifteen, Hebrews nine, and Second Corinthians thirteen, which we just looked at. Those three. What I want you to do is I want you to take a moment. You can do this on your own. You can do this with the person or people near you. And I want you to write in the corresponding box, based on the verses, what you think the function of each of those Godhead members are based on that verse. Okay? If we need to do one together, we can. Is this making sense? That in each verse, there's going to be a hint about what that member of the Trinity does. Okay? Are you guys with me or no? I, I feel like I'm not communicating it well. Do the first one together so you know sure, let's do the first one together. I, I can't do it on the slide because it'll give away the second one. But Matthew 3... 16 to 17, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway up out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. So you have Jesus, the Spirit, and God the Father, all in this verse, or verses, right? Are we at least, are we good there? So, what is the role of the Father, God the Father, in this verse? What He speaks, right? So, God the Father is, at his core, a speaker. He, commun- he communicates to his people. We see that through Scripture, right? He's done that through making sure we have the Word of God. We hear the audible, well, we don't hear the audible voice, but we, we read the audible voice of God through, through Scripture at different points, right? God spoke and the things came into existence, right? Are you with me? Okay. What's the son's role here? He was baptized, but he was obedient. Okay. But the baptism itself was a... There's another... Uh, there's no specific right answer here, but what, what? An example, right? So he was a... He, by a, being a shepherd of his people, he was also an example, right? Very good. I think I had the word testimony and example, but yeah, he was obedient. What does the Spirit of God do? This one's a little more, a little more maybe nuanced. Saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Yeah, it's okay. Just say it out. It's, it's, maybe a witness. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Anointing. He was, he was an anointer, right? So the Spirit is through oil. People are anointed. It's a picture of, of the Holy Spirit, right? So I had that he was empowering, right? Empowering. The Spirit empowers people to do things. So there's not necessarily a, a, a specific... Like, you probably shouldn't say the Holy Spirit got him wet. I'd probably be wrong. But I'm not sure there's a specifically right answer here. Are you tracking on the, the exercise now? So take a couple of minutes. Do the next four. <coughs> Each of these have a concept. And it's okay. Just be, be confident. Even if you're wrong, you're not getting a grade. 
and none of us will laugh at you unless you just really are just way out in left field and you want us to laugh. Like if somebody wrote Maui Wowie in one of the boxes, then we will laugh. But other than that, try to try to do this. So take a couple minutes. Again, if you need to work with a partner, your spouse, a friend, somebody you're sitting close to, go ahead and do that. And then we'll we'll go through them together. None of them are really meant to be curveballs. If you're having trouble, you can skip it or get my attention. None of them are really meant to be super hard.
three more minutes. And if you're not done, that's okay. Y'all are super quiet. Y'all whispering. So I'm, I'm hearing some discussion up, up front here as if you can't use the word to de define the word. Actually, you can. Um, if there is, um, there's a couple here that I would say probably the word is what the function is. But not, not, to, not to side with your wife, but I'm, I'm going to take her side. Yeah. Okay, so so let's let's do them together. If you're not done, that's okay. I just I want to make sure we have enough time left for our other points. So First Peter chapter one and verse two, uh, he's talking uh, about the concept of being elect. That is not predestination. That's another thing for another time. Maybe if you have questions about that, we can address that in one of our future question and answer uh, classes. But elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit under the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, what is the God or God the Father function here? He knows everything. He's om, um, omniscient, right? The, the foreknowledge, right? So he knows. So, which is kind of interesting. We're not going to build a, a dogmatic doctrine about this, but it does bring into context that God the Father is, is more of the planner, for lack of better terms, about what's happening, and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son support that plan, if you will. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not super dogmatic about that statement, but he has the brings the quote foreknowledge to this table. What about the the next one? About the sun? The yeah, sacrifice and obedience again, right? That was one of them, right? The sprinkling of the blood. But he is the lamb. He is the provision for our sins. So there's a couple different ways you could have have documented that, right? And what about the Holy Spirit? This one's easy. Sanctification. Did you have a different word? But he sets you apart, which is in part the definition of sanctification. So, so, so yeah. So what I had was, you know, we we looked already speaking and endorsing a testimony or example obedience. We saw uh, empowering. Here we have foreknowledge, obedience, and sacrifice. Then the process of sanctification. Right? Are you with me? So you already in two verses you can see the manifestation of the different members of the Trinity is really important. Alright, so John fifteen, twenty six. But when the <clears throat> Comforter is come, I, uh, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So maybe more on the last column on this one than the others, but what about the Father? What about the Father do we see here? 
Source? I had the word like the sender. Like he's the one that... What were you mouthing, Michelle? Or he gives. He's a give. Yeah, he gives. He provides. Right? What were you... Produces. Right? These things flow from God the Father. Right? Okay, good. What about... Um, what about the Son? He is a witness of the Father. That is 100% true. What else? There, this one's maybe not super intuitive. You have to pull it out a little bit. Uh, but Jesus says, Whom I will send unto you from the Father. So Jesus, so Jesus is talking about the Comforter, talking about the Holy Spirit. Whom I will send from the Father. So he is a... What? Well, he is, but he's also... He, what, that, the middleman? That's not what I was thinking, but he is the he's a provider for the church. He is the bridegroom. He wants to provide for his bride. So he's a provider. He's a requester of the Father, right? To, for for provision for for the body, right? We see in John the prayer of Jesus for even us, his disciples, well off into the future from that point. He is requesting things of us. So he's asking the Father to provide the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? I don't feel like I'm stretching that. Okay? And then this one you probably could fill up easy. So the Holy Spirit. What? Comforter. Comforter. Right? What else? He will testify. He's a testifier and uh, confirms, but testifier of truth in particular. Right? And so the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're saved... The Holy Spirit will actually bear witness in your heart about things. Sometimes, if you're really in tune and the Holy Spirit's speaking loud, you'll, you'll discern people's thoughts and in, not thoughts, their intents. It's a reference to Hebrews there, I apologize. But their intents, like, is this person meaning to do harm? Like, that, that visitor is here. I want them to hear the Word of God, but I also want to make sure they're not mowing around down in the basement around their kids. Right? So, look, I can love on them. I can usher them back upstairs to hear the Word of God. <laughs> like, that's a good thing. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will just say, just love on people. Just, just meet them where they're at. It's okay. What about Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 14? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God? So, God the Father. He accepts, or I think, Brandon, maybe you were saying it? No, somebody else? Receives the offering. So, he's the receiver of the sacrifice, right? What about the Son? He is a sacrifice, right? Um, so, it's interesting. He's, he's not just the sacrifice, but he's also the pure sacrifice he's without spot right so just some of somebody might have grabbed that and what about the holy spirit what, the, what it says how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god we actually saw this back up in the matthew 3 we we said that the spirit was what there in, in empowering, right? So Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, might not have, again, it's not a dogmatic statement, but he's at least empowered through the eternal Spirit to be able to make that sacrifice. 
Like, that's a big deal. The Holy Spirit was active in the sacrifice process of making sure that our sins could be redeemed. And then the last one, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy, Holy Ghost be with you all. I think this is probably pretty, pretty straightforward. So what about God the Father? He lo- he's a lover. He loves people, right? God the Son. He gives grace. What about the Holy Spirit? He, he's a communer. He, he brings things together that were otherwise separate. So you can see here... You good? Okay. Uh, you can see here that, and, and again, these are just the words I put in, the sender, provider for the church. He comforts and testifies of the truth. He's the receiver of the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He strengthens or empowers. He's uh, God's a lover. The God the Son is a grace giver and is a communer or a reconciler, you could even say. Okay? So I hope that helps because you'll, as you're studying Scripture and you see these things, these kinds of things should bubble up. So, you know, pull, you know, pro tip is what, what Sam says. Pro tip, when you're studying Scripture and the words jump off the page that the Holy Spirit does that or the Son does that or God the Father does that, those are, those are good times to just grab that. Maybe it's in the back of your Bible, front of the Bible. You might have extra pages. Or maybe you're keeping a note of the different things that the God the Father does, God the, the Son does, and the Holy Spirit does. Knowing these aspects, just like I know more about Michelle today than the day we got married. I literally love her more today than the day we got married because of the depth of the relationship. The more we know about God, and I'm not just talking and head knowledge, but understanding how he acts, understanding how he interacts with us, what he provides us, will allow us to grow in our love of him. Alright, so in the time we have left, let's look at our lessons for today. Lesson one, obedience is different than submission. Well, and I guess let me just be clear, I, I touched on it before, people spend a lot of time in this passage on this man calling Jesus good. There is only one good, Jesus says, that is God. So he is, by definition, Associating Jesus is associating himself with God, the Godhead. That's why we address that, okay? But there's more to this story, right? There's more to this story. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Don't kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. All of these have I observed. So, he is an obedient follower. He is an obedient follower. But Jesus is looking for submission. So, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about how obedience is different than submission. Different than allowing him to be Lord over your life. Right? So, the best illustration I can come up with is the kid that's throwing the tantrum and you tell them to put their shoes away, clean up their room, fill in, like whatever it is, right? When they walk off, when they storm off mad and do that thing, they're obedient but not submitted, okay? Because they're just doing the thing you told them to do as compared to doing it for your pleasure, for your knowing that you're the parent, okay? They're doing it because they're concerned about the discipline. They're doing it because of your authority, not because of the love relationship, 
okay? Different perspectives. In the Matthew account, actually, it says that the man says, I have kept all of these things from my youth. It's interesting. It's the same Greek word. In one place, it's, it's, um, it's translated um, uh, here. It's translated, I have observed in verse 20. And in, Matthew, in the Matthew account, it's kept. And kept, there, again, if you look at all the words, sometimes kept is tied to the law. Like, I've kept all these things. I've done them. Okay? But obedience is necessary. Don't get me wrong. You cannot be submitted unless you first have obedience. That's why we talk about baptism being the first obedience, or first step of obedience in our relationship. There are times in our walk with the Lord, we just have to be obedient. Lord, I don't know why you're doing this. Okay, I'll do it. And so obedience is necessary. Look at Exodus 24, 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Like, we're going to get it done. Now, we're going to have times where we're upset about it. We're going to have times where we don't trust God. We're going to have times where, we're, where we, just, we only do the letter of the law. But we're going to be obedient. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. For as, and this is, this is really interesting. For as by one man's disobedience were many, many were made sinners, Adam, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We actually saw it in a couple of the verses that we looked at when we were assigning the functions on the Trinity was the fact that Jesus was obedient. He actually was obedient. He submitted himself. This is a little bit different than submission, but he lowered himself. He was obedient for our righteousness. So we could be righteous. In Philippians 2.8, and being found in, the, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So, Christ, so obedience is, like obedience sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, even the illustration I used kind of gets a bad rap because we're trying to show the contrast. But there are times Times when I say to my son, hey, take out the trash, and he's not thrilled with it, but he does it. Like, he's not mad. He's not, like, pouty or whatever. It's not the thing he wants to do at that moment. He's obedient, though. Like, he's obedient. And we, so Christ was obedient. We need to be obedient. It's necessary. Obedience proves. It's interesting. Look at Isaiah 1. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So the, the, the obedience can prove you out. Like if God says, do this thing, and you're like, okay then even if you might not do it with the best of heart attitudes, like you're doing it, he can, he can bless you. But if you don't, well, in this case, you're going to be devoured with the sword. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I said don't do this thing. When you live outside of my, my rules, bad things happen. I, you know, people talk about the, the Bible being a list of, of, of basically a bunch of rules. No, it's a bunch of guardrails. <laughs> because God knows what's on the other side of that guardrail. It's a big cliff, and if I drive off that, my demise is certain. <laughs> it, arguably, it might not even be guardrails. Arguably, it might be the lines painted on the road. Because he allows us to go beyond them. 
right? He allows us to go outside the rules and parameters that he sets because he loves us enough to have a free will. We even see it with this man in, in, in Mark 10. For to this uh, end also I did write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. Paul is actually proving out the Corinthians by saying, look, are you going to do what I ask you to do or not? I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. If you want to know someone's heart, you just ask them to do simple things. It, it, is, it is really amazing. It is amazing here in ministry. Sometimes we ask and we prove people and we ask them to do something very simple. And we watch them. There are people that come in from time to time and they, the way Sam puts it is, they want the mic. They feel like they have something to say. They want to teach. Well, are you willing to clean a toilet first? Are you willing to humble yourself? And it is amazing. Well, no, you must not have understood me. I need to teach. Well, okay, just be obedient first. No, you, you don't understand. I mean, God brought me here to speak. No, well, God brought you here to be obedient first. But, but after obedience comes submission, and submission is self-denial, okay? In obedience, you can retain your identity. I'm going to take the trash out. I'm going to clean up my room. But I, but I am who I am. But submission is self-denial. Notice in Matthew 16, 24, And Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Similar in, in Luke 9, 23. Self-denial is the key to submission. In a loving marriage relationship, in a loving familial relationship, in a loving relationship here at church with our co-laborers and those who labor over and under us in the Lord, we have to put each other first. We should deny ourselves. And another way to do that, another way to word that is that submission is prioritization. It's prioritization of the Lord and His goals over my own, right? I know there's a lot of words on the screen and, and on your page, but look at this. It's amazing in Revelation chapter 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them that which are evil. Like, God is talking to a church in a letter here, and he's basically saying, I know all the things you're doing. You're very obedient. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Like, you're really, really obedient, but I feel like you're not doing it for the right reasons. I feel like you're doing it out of obligation, not out of love. Luke 10, 41 and 42, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Like, there's a lot to do. I get it. There's a lot to be done, Martha, Martha, obedient one. But let's be submitted to the Lord and to his lordship. So there's a difference between obedience and submission. Our second lesson today is tough love gets to the point. Tough love gets to the point. Now Jesus, in this account, and it's really amazing, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Right? So 
Words of Scripture are important. This, these, this phrase actually isn't in the Matthew account. It's part of the reason I'm, I'm, I'm in the Mark account today is because Jesus, it's actually identified that Jesus loved him and that's why he said what he said. That's going to be a really important point. So love is direct. Love is direct. It looks beyond current circumstances or, ch- or temporary challenges. It's a big picture kind of thing. And it drives for holiness and sanctification. It's direct, it looks beyond, and it drives for holiness and sanctification. So notice, this, this pattern happens actually a lot more than I included here in Scripture or in, our, in, in, in our study today. It happens a lot in Scripture. Where someone is challenged beyond the state they're in, to get better at what they are doing, okay? And and you have a choice. You can take it that the Lord is teaching you, that He is growing you, and He wants the best for you, or you can get mad about it. Like, you can get pouty, you can get frustrated, you can take your ball, your proverbial or actual ball, and go home. Notice in John 6... Now, this is a longer passage, but in John 6, in verse 60, many, many of the disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Now, he's talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. And so they don't understand. They say it's a hard thing. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this, doth this offend you? And then verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Instead of leaning in, instead of saying, yeah, Lord, I'm kind of offended. Like, Scripture says that I'm not supposed to eat flesh. I'm not supposed to drink blood. That was an Old Testament law. What exactly do you mean? (laughs) Like, I don't understand. But instead of leaning in and saying, I trust you, that this hard thing, they took their ball and they went home. We're all faced with those things from time to time. You don't do it right. Boy, the way you, way you do things. I mean, I've had people come up to me, whether it's about my teaching, whether it's about my counseling, whether it's about my leadership style. All through my life, I had one guy say, you know, you're kind of a nice guy, but sometimes you're just kind of a jerk. And I was like, wow, I didn't... It wasn't okay. It wasn't you. Okay. No, I'm looking at Michelle. I'm looking at Michelle. Uh, he's like, but but you're kind of a jerk, and I had to like take real real like stock of that. Like, how? Why am I coming across as a jerk? Because I didn't mean to be coming across as a jerk, right? I could have done one of two things. I could have leaned into the council. I could have leaned into the edification, or I could have taken my ball and gone home. I could get pouty about it, right? Notice in huh. Did I keep talking to him? No, I kept talking to him. No, no, I actually asked. I'm like, can you give me examples now? If you see me do it, can you give me examples like, hey, if you see me interacting with somebody and say, hey, Mitch, that kind of came across wrong. Ah, okay. Now I understand how I'm, why I'm perceived that way. So I need to change my tone. I need to change my approach. I need to be more whatever, compassionate and, and a little less tactical or whatever the case was. It was a long time ago, and now I'm perfect. <laughs> so, in 1 Corinthians 4, notice what Paul writes in verse 14. Michelle's like, yeah, right. I write not these things to... Sh- look at this, look at this. I write not these things to shame you, 
But as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ who will tell you how to do it, yet ye not, have not many fathers who will be honest with you and say you're doing it wrong, right? Who are we most open with? Probably our kids. Like, when we have kids over, it's real easy for me to tell Manning, like, don't, we don't do it like that. It's like a little harder, even though it's my house, to, to say it to the kids that aren't my kids. Because I'm an instructor. But to my son, I'm his father, right? So even though we have 10,000 instructors in Christ, we don't have many fathers. And Paul is saying, look, I'm not doing this to shame you. I'm doing this because I love you. I'm, I'm giving you this hard feedback because I love you. 2 Corinthians 7, uh, it's interesting because so much of this has to do with his correction of the Corinthian church. In, in chapter, er, yeah, chapter 7 and verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of, the f- filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then jumps down to verse 3, I speak not this to condemn you, For I have said before that you're in our hearts to die and live with you. Like, I'm giving you this feedback because I love you and I want you to excel. I want you to be the best ministers you can be. Not because I like slapping people on the backside, you know, uh, verbally. And in verse chapter 12 and verse 5, and I will be, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Why? Because I'm pointing out all your flaws. Why? Why is it that you might love me less even though I love you more? It's because I want more for you. And literally, this guy approaches Jesus, runs to him, kneels to him, calls him good, and says, what do I have to do? And he's like, well, I know you've been keeping all, I I know you've been dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, you know the difference between your P's and Q's. I don't know why those illustrations have to be used, but you know, you've got it all down, you've got it all down, but I want you to go and sell everything you have because you lack one thing, and that's being all in. You lack trusting me as your as your as your god as your savior you you lack that one thing and it's pretty amazing to me because this is a zero sum game take up yeah come take up the cross and follow me sell sell everything you have give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and the guy was mad or upset was grieved because he had a lot but doesn't that cost all of us the same amount everything like whether you have a lot of zeros in the bank account, and I mean like after the first number, whether you have a lot of zeros in your bank account, a lot of commas, right? Or whether you don't, it's still everything. It's everything you have, whether it's one mite or a gazillion mites. Like, it's all. So wouldn't everybody come to this conclusion, either they're in of following Jesus or they're grieved because they have something they have something. This guy was upset because he had great possessions. Where did his heart lie? Where was his, where was his treasure? It was in those things. Jesus looks him right in the eye and says, you're missing one thing. I love you enough to tell you this. You're not all in. You're not all in. You're still keeping a little back. And I love you all enough to say, if you're not all in... You're missing out on the blessing. 
the, the God the Son looked at this guy and said, it's literally better for you to sell everything and follow me. Like we... Like, we talk about, you know, see something on Facebook, you know, if you had you know, one hour to sit with anybody in the history, and, and a lot of Christians would be like, Jesus, like, I'd love to sit with Jesus for an hour. But if you had the opportunity to get all the anchors, all the things that tethered you, to literally spend every waking moment and even the sleeping moments with Jesus, boy, that's a pretty special place in history. But this guy chose stuff. We don't do it right always. We're, we're brash. We're, we're too passive. We're too aggressive. We're, uh, I say the wrong things. I, I flick on the lights to be silly and it causes a situation. Like I, It's like I'm going to screw this up. I am going to mess this up, but I'm going to lean in. Every time somebody looks at me and says, Mitch, you're not doing it right, I'll be like, tell me how to do it better. Tell me, and it's going to sting a little bit when they give me that news. It's going to be like, man, I, I thought I was trying. I mean, I, I really, my heart was in this. Man, and then I feel bad. Like, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings because that was not, like when that guy told me, you're kind of a jerk, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry because I didn't mean to be a jerk. What it was, and, and, here, and here is the God's honest truth, I was really analytical. Like, well, if you're in, you're in. And if you're not, you're not. And it's like, you're either in the foxhole with me or you're not. And I can only trust the people that I'm, that I'm with. And I'm like, so I'm going to go to war with the spiritual war with these folks. And these folks kind of, I guess I kind of leave them behind because I'm not sure I can trust them. The problem was I needed to be bringing them along too or tending to their spiritual wounds or whatever. So I was kind of analytical. I was kind of cutthroat in ministry. And that's why I was coming across as a jerk. And I've had to learn through all that. And, and I can look, I can, I can, and I won't, although it'd be fun. I could go through each one of you and say, here's the thing you're lacking. That we all have something that we're lacking. We're not all in. But we have a choice. We can lean in or we can get mad. We can take our ball and go home. If I ever have to sit down with you and say, look, you're doing it wrong, please know it's going to come out of love, just like when Jesus said that. So, oh, sorry, I was behind here. So can you address that which needs to be addressed in your life? Because we all have it. There's something in your life that needs to be addressed. And when that situation comes up, can you address it? Can you look it square in the eye and know that that the person that's giving you that feedback is being used of the Lord to grow your spiritual your spiritual state. Let's pray. Lord, we